This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 129 for January 2019, with Eric Dalma and Bob DeWay on Solidale Gloria. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 129 for January 2019 with Eric Dalma and Bob DeWay. Eric Dalma is pastor and Bob DeWay is resident scholar of Gospel of Grace Fellowship in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. They're both also return guests joining the podcast this month to conclude the series on the five solas of the Reformation, first begun back with uh, episode 31 in November of 2010. Soli Deo Gloria is the doctrine that states that God alone deserves glory. Show notes for this episode are available. You'll find a basic outline of the discussion and it links to additional resources as well as scriptures referenced during the discussion. You can find that at echozoe.com slash 129. Once again, there's a video version of the discussion available. You can check out the YouTube channel or echozoe.com slash 129 if you prefer to watch. The quality isn't as good this time around, so if you're watching, please forgive me. It's the camera. It's not your monitor or your television. Also, new Lessons in Logic videos continue to be posted on a weekly basis, and you can find those as well at the Equizoi Ministry YouTube page. With that, here's my discussion with Eric and Bob. Well, welcome. Eric Dalma and Bob DeWay are back. This is kind of unusual. I don't normally have two guests but it's extra unusual because I had two guests last month. So two wow. in a row, but uh, you guys are here to finish off a series that I started uh, many years ago, probably six or seven years ago on the five solas. And we did um, sola fide, sola scriptura, uh, sola gratia. And those were uh, Phil Johnson, Mike Abendroth, uh, James White, did those three with me. And then about a year ago, uh, Nate Pickowitz did uh, Solus Christus with me. So now the last of the five solas left is Soli Deo Gloria. We're going to talk about the, uh, to glory, the glory to, to glory to God alone. So, and then I wanted to mention to my listeners, but also I guess for your listeners that we're going to probably simulcast this. So um, I don't think Bob, you've ever talked about your podcast, your show on my show. You come in, Every so often, you're usually here at least once a year, but I don't think you've ever mentioned your show. Oh, well, well, we do. Critical Issues Commentary was a writing ministry. I started in 1992, and on our org website, we have over 150 theological art- articles, mm-hmm. but we also have done radio. We started that quite a few years ago, too, and... I've been doing a series, an older one, that we're rebroadcasting on the book of Hebrews. It's just about done. But it's a podcast comes out every Monday. Yeah, you were on tri- 
uh, terrestrial radio for a while, but you've been a podcast now for several years too. Yeah, podcast so, is the main thing we do. So yeah. at cicministry.org. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to Echozoe Radio at echozoe.com, you can go to cicministry.org for Bob's show, and you two do it together. That's right. Yeah, if you're listening to CIC Radio, you can listen to my show at echozoe.com. This is episode 129, so we'll have show notes and whatnot up at echozoe.com slash 129. Yeah, Andy, thanks for having us. It was sure, sure a well, joy to a, work with you. It's always a pleasure to have each of you, and so it's an extra pleasure to have both of you. Yeah, likewise, being with so, you. So let's start out with, um, I, I think a great place to start with Soli Dale Gloria is, uh, I know you guys both have some fantastic stuff to talk about, but maybe let's start with just how it relates to the other f- of the solos and, and the, the four that I mentioned that we've already done. Um yeah. Well, I can talk about that. I wrote an article about the solas that had to do with monergism and synergism, which is a key issue behind well, all I of this. I know you've said many times that as a, when you're talking about monergism versus synergism, or as some, uh, some people will frame it as Calvinism versus Arminianism, you prefer rather than talking points of Calvinism to let's talk about the five solas. The five that, solas that are that the issue. people there. Exactly. That's what it boils down to is the five solos. And in regard to that, I wrote an article in uh, 2006, CAC issue number 93, called Recovering Reformation Theology, Rejecting Synergism and Returning to Monergism. Now, in the article, I started out talking about Rick Warren and then mentioning how Finney really was the source of a lot of the mischief in America who taught such a man-centered theology. Mm-hmm. Then I go through the five solas. But the point is, synergism is salvation is a cooperative effort between God and man. And they may want to give glory to God. This is what Luther said. But they really can't. Because mm-hmm. according to that doctrine— At least not alone, right? And that's right. what the solely part of solely well, Dale Gloria is. That's the is. same thing about grace and faith and scripture Amen. and Christ. Roman Catholicism believes in all of those, but not alone. Mm-hmm. Okay? And everybody believes that God is a glorious God. But monergism says that salvation is a work of God and not a cooperative uh, effort between God and man. Now, what I said in my article is that no matter... What percentages you want to make, if you could even do such a thing. Well, let's say God does almost all of it, but nothing happens until man puts his part in. So all humans are equally recipients of prevenient grace, they call it, mm-hmm. which is not taught in the Bible, and capable of making a free will decision, which will make salvation come to pass. Now, once that happens, and one person does it and the other doesn't, if you compare the two, there's more virtue in the one who did. And how does God get all the glory when man puts the part in that makes it actually happen? Now, Luther argued that vociferously in his rejection of Rome, because he rejected human merit. And Luther said that, well, they may want to say God gets the glory, but in fact, he does not. 
Then if you look at Rome and everything they did, it's pretty obvious God doesn't get all the glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to tie back to the first show I ever did. And you came in with, it was almost almost uh, 11 years ago, you came over to my house and did episode one. We did on open theism. And the, the way I want to tie it is that um, when I did Sola Gratia with James White, James White is is famous for saying that the only consistent Arminian is an open theist. That's a good point. Uh, That's a good point because we probably talked about it back then. That was 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. But if you believe that God has foreknowledge and he knows everything that's going to happen, and uh, then he foreknows everybody who's going to be saved before the foundation of the world. And if he creates and some people aren't going to be saved, then people like Greg Boyd will say, we can't have that. That that would be awful. Why would God create people he knows are going to end up in hell? Mm -hmm. So with open theism, God doesn't even know what's going to happen. So therefore, you get rid of all these emotional objections people have to the doctrines of grace. And and then how does that violate Soli Deo Gloria? Well... If you want to say that God is lacking omniscience, omnipotence, whatever else they want him to be lacking to make humans feel better, you're not giving God any glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, one of, actually one of my uh, guests, two guests from last month is Andrew Rappaport. And uh, he, he's always making a great point that um, that if you want to have good theology, you got to start with the the characteristics of God. Yeah, but the if, you've got, of God. if you've exactly. got a proper understanding of God of the characteristics of God, then your theology will naturally flow from yeah, that. And that would That's mean, exactly right. Uh, non, if God is non-contingent, which I believe the Bible makes it very clear that He is not contingent on anything outside of Himself, absolutely, and that God existed from all eternity with all of His attributes. Mm-hmm. Well. It's not just to say that he's omnipotent, but that you grant the full range of omnipotence. And you don't limit it to like the open theist students. They'll say, well, he knows all things that are knowable. And then they'll say that the future is not knowable. But that's but they're, so they're therefore to the Bible. They're limiting his omnipotence. Yeah, at that point. and they're not listening to what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about this idea of contingence. So what God does, according to the open theist, is contingent on future choices of creatures. So they have a contingent deity. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't believe that that's the deity, God, the triune God of the Bible, who created. The Bible presents God as non-contingent, not dependent on anything outside of himself, because the triune God existed from all eternity before anything was created. Yeah. Okay? And so if what God does vis-a-vis his own creation is contingent on future decisions within the creation, then God is subject to contingencies. Right. Now, somebody said, and I read this somewhere, so I didn't originate this statement. It may have been R.C. Sproul, but I don't want to say for sure. Yeah. But here's the statement. God knows all contingencies but God knows nothing nothing contingently. So his knowledge isn't contingent on some future thing. Well so 
the open theists are diminishing the doctrine of God in order to make God seem more palatable to the emotional sensitivities of humans. Right. And Bob, you know, as you mentioned that this attack against God's omniscience or his omnipotence, it really is an attack against God's holiness because at the root of God's holiness is that he's other, he's different than the creation. And one of the things that differentiates his God from the creation is his omnipotence. It's his omniscience. It's both his character and his attributes. Now, there are some communicable attributes that we share, but there are some non-communicable attributes. He's eternal mm-hmm. and we're not. And so, as Bob just mentioned, this attack against God's omnipotence to save or his omniscience to know um, as those who hold a middle knowledge or open theism, it's really an attack against God's holiness. And so the attack against God's holiness is an indirect attack against God's glory. And the reason why is the glory of God has to do with God's holiness made evident to the created order. What I like to do is boil it down to two D's. First of all, God deserves glory. The second is he displays his glory. Now, why does God deserve glory? Well, glory in the Old Testament comes from a Hebrew term, kavoth, which literally has to do with this idea of weightiness, that God would be considered weighty among his people and among those on the planet, you know, among, amongst his creation. And I think the best definition of weightiness can be used in the English term, and perhaps others know it, but it's the term gravitas. Um, everyone probably knows that term where if the president of the United States comes into a room, there's a gravitas to him, even if you don't agree with him mm-hmm. simply because of his title. But there should be a gravitas to God because of who he is and because of what he's done. That's what he deserves. He deserves honor. But he also displays this glory and the greatness of who he is through three things. He displays it through redemption. He displays it through the creation. And he displays it in his own, for example, like a theophany or his divine presence. In fact, we'll see that in Revelation chapter 21 when he establishes the new Jerusalem for his people once and for all. It's the glory of God that illumines it. And so, as it says in 1 John 3, 2, one day we're going to see him as he is. We're going to see him. One of the greatest gifts ever given to the people of God is that we're going to enjoy seeing and being spectators and participants of his glory forevermore. Mm, And that's the greatest hope that all of us have. Isn't it true that we wouldn't know any of this had God not condescended to reveal himself to human beings in a way that we can hear and understand great point objective revelation so the greater the transcendent god of the bible yeah has to take the initiative for the creature to even know and understand who he is great point and he chose to do that through the patriarchs yes moses and then we end up with these psalms So confirm what you just said. Let me just read what the psalmist said about God. And these were people that God spoke to and revealed himself to. Okay, this is Psalm 96, starting with verse 3. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, little g. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. Let me just stop right there. Yeah. These idols are contingent. 
We've said this many times. Oh, we love to preach on Sinai and Moses and the, the glory there, but the glory of Christ is greater. Right. Right? Well, the idol is made by a human, right? Or you can worship something that isn't a god. So if you get sick of your idol, you just melt it down and make something else out of it. <laughs> right. So the idol's contingent on man. God isn't contingent. He's not dependent on anything outside of himself for his being, his existence, and his glory. Amen. We are privileged to know him, to live on his earth, for that matter, just for general revelation, and to ascribe glory to him. So we're called to do that. So it says the gods of the peoples are idols. They're they're contingent. Wow. If you don't like them, just get rid of them. They won't judge you on the last day. Right. You're safe. Okay. Other than you're going to go to hell if you serve them. Right. But you're safe from the idols. You're just not safe from the true God. Then it says, but the Lord made the heavens. There, There's this gravitas. Yes. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Then it says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name, bring an offering and come into his court. So here's a command to ascribe to God who he really is. Right, right. And so it's our blessing and our privilege to give honor and glory to his name. And Eric, you understand the Hebrew. His name signifies more than just uh, a word that would say this and not that. Right. But it stands for his nature, his being. Yeah. Okay. So when I was, I've been preaching through Hebrew, excuse me, I've been preaching through Ephesians. And this Barakah of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, that we we did at Gospel of Grace, yeah. went through that. Three times it says that what God does in saving a people is to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. Or to the praise of his glory. But what this Barakah, Barakah means to bless or bless right. or to have like a benediction. Right. And so what the Barakah blessing is, is doing what Psalm 96 is telling everyone to do. Amen. But hardly anybody does. Right. And God is blessed in his being, his nature, his promises, his mighty deeds. And that's a Hebrew way of ascribing the glory that's already true. Amen. And any religion... Any idolatrous religion that tries to create fake glory by however they do it. Right. You can have this magnificent cathedral that looks all kinds of spires and gold and and, and everything else and robes and all of this stuff. But it's, it's fake. Right. That's not the glory of God. If it really was the glory of God, they would all die in there. If they didn't know him. <laughs> right. See, Hebrews are talking about the mountain well, that can be touched. Go to the Hebrews, I mean, that's, it's it's all the same issues in these cathedrals that they were dealing with in the book of Hebrews. Yes, I just finished uh, going through the very last one that we've been rebroadcasting for our CIC. And when the author of Hebrews was writing, the temple was still going. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the smells and the bells. And then I'm thinking about these preachers like the emergent and say, well, we need to worship God with, with five physical senses. If we don't smell and hear and feel, then we don't get it. But the author of Hebrews says, no, you haven't come to a mount that can be touched. The one that could be touched, they would die. Right. And they finally took the tent and went outside the camp because it, it, it was too awesome. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Moses would go out there. But it says that believers have come to the heavenly sanctuary, myriads of angels, the spirits of just men made perfect in this glorious description of heaven. And we can't see it, we can't touch it, we can't even paint a picture of it. Wow. It's very accurate because we don't know. But we have come to it by faith. And so I'm saying on those radio shows and saying it here now, that so much of religion, and this is what Luther was objecting to when we got these five solas and the glory of God alone. The cathedrals they wanted to build were for the glory of man. Mm-hmm. Amen. Look how great we are. That's right. And uh, Josephus talked about when they would come toward the Herod's temple, the second temple, they'd see the light reflecting off the gold. Right. Facade, and it would be so glorious. Yeah. But uh, Jesus said a curse against the whole system. Right. It said not one stone be left on another. Yeah. Because that wasn't glorifying God, not the way they were doing it. Right. You know, it's interesting, Bob, you'd mentioned earlier prevenient grace, and prevenient grace really is an attack against God's character. Because mm-hmm. again, if he doesn't save us from first to last, it really is a detraction against his glory. And some of the passages that refute prevenient grace are very stark because prevenient grace, in order for it to be true, you would have to have biblical passages that would show that God enables every human being with a prior grace that overcomes original sin in order that they may believe. But on the contrary, we see passages that teach the opposite. One that we often talk about is Matthew 13. Uh, verse 11, where Jesus was giving parables. Well, then the disciples, he pulls them aside and explains what the parables mean. Well, they ask him, uh, Lord, why do you tell them parables, but you speak plainly to us what it means? Well, he says, well, because to you it has been given the knowledge of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given. Well, right there, that should destroy prevenient grace. You have one group it has been given the ability to believe, and the other it has not been given. In fact, you see it in John 10, where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And remember, he rebukes those who don't believe. He says, the reason you don't believe is because you're not, you're of not my, one of my sheep. Yeah, you're not one of my sheep. No. And so no. that, again, destroys this idea of prevenient grace. Because if prevenient grace were true, it'd have to be given to everybody. Well, Which those, they claim it is, but exactly. the Bible doesn't. Right. In this article about Reformation theology and the five solas, which I just reread, um, the one proof text they try to use is John 1, 9. Oh, right. And they're using a certain translation that really doesn't fit the context. Yeah. Because it has to do with the light coming <laughs> into the world. <laughs> right. Okay. What, what's coming into the world? Is it enlightening every man coming into the world? As some translations have it. Right. But if you look at John, every time it's talking about the sun coming into the world, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity yes. is the one who's coming into the world and brings light. And then in my article, I pointed out 
Before that, they were in darkness. Right. So every human being, quote, coming into the world, being born, isn't enlightened by Christ. Right. They're making that up to try to keep their doctrine of synergism, the cooperative effort between God and man. And the reason they had to make it up is because Rome had already anathematized Pelagianism. Yes. Okay. So Pelagianism denies original sin. Adam just fell for himself. There's no federal headship. Yeah, there's no federal headship, and every person comes into the world. With a clean slate. Clean slate. They're Mm -hmm. they're on their own. And I remember I debated Greg Boyd one time. That was an interesting thing, but he's one of the open theists. Yeah. But somebody had asked him, well, how do you know anybody would ever be saved with your open theism? Because everybody could just end up rejecting. And he said, he or one of the people like it said, well, God got lucky. Oh. And some people decided to believe in God. Oh, my wow. goodness. Yeah, wow. I, I don't know for sure. So Boyd said that, but, it, but open theists have said that. Wow. God got yeah. lucky. So now, God isn't sovereign. Wow. No. And see, America is really rife with bad theology and has been for centuries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People talk about the good old days and they're going back a hundred years. <laughs> right. no, it was bad yeah, for a never, long, long time. Yeah, never was good old days. And That's right. Charles Finney was a full-blown Pelagian. Wow. He was more man-centered than Roman Catholicism. Wow. And I proved that in this article and another article, and I submitted a paper on it at seminary to Dr. Travis. Yeah. Yeah, with primary source research. It's undou- it's not to be doubted that Finney was a Pelagian. And he's considered one of our great evangelists. Mm-hmm. Wow. And the guy was a full well, blown heretic. If have you ever had heard uh Ray Comfort's best or Hell's Best Kept Secret? I remember that was from some years that's ago. His that's kind of the 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 sermon that made it, it kind of launched him onto the scene and but even if you listen to his original Hell's Best Kept Secret, he talks about the great evangelists, and Finney was on his list. Oh, no. But if you listen, but he knows better now, because if you listen to a newer sermon, Finney's not in it anymore. Wow. So well, it's, article, it's like, not that, I don't think that Ray Comfort ever really saw Finney as his great hero, but we're, so many people are ignorant as to who these people right. were. You know, we don't understand church history very well. Sure. And so we know Finney did travel around preaching the gospel, I guess, in air quotes. Right. And that's something that we appreciate and we laud. And, but we don't, you you have to get in a little bit deeper into the history to understand just what gospel was he preaching. I have a quote from Finney right here. Okay. Just so our listeners know what American evangelicalism has in its. A closet, the goofy old uncle, right, <laughs> or whatever. Here's, I have the complete works of Finney uh, in my research. In your heresy, right. in, heresy right. in my heresy library, is <laughs> online one. Quote Finney. Quote: A revival is not a miracle, according to another definition of the term miracle. Something above the powers of nature. Finney says there is nothing in religion beyond the ordinary powers of nature and consists entirely 
in the right exercise of the powers of nature. It is just that and nothing else. Wow. And then he went on and said, revival is not a miracle, not dependent on a miracle in any sense. It is a purely philosophical result of the right use of the constituted means as much as any other effect produced by the application of means. Isn't wow. that the manifesto of American evangelism yeah. right there? And well, so when, the reason I quoted that was I, my claim is that when Schuler came along and then Rick, Rick Warren, Warren and Joel Osteen, whoever else is out there, they're just taking Finney's ideas and fine-tuning them and, and engineering a revival. Right. And rather than people being converted by grace alone, through faith alone, and coming to Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, they're just using means. And so I quote Rick Warren saying the same thing. You do this, and you get this result. Yeah. And so everything in the world comes in but the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Now, the reason uh, monergism is so important is that, for me anyhow, because I didn't come to realize that until 1986, and I'd already been preaching for over 10 years. Yeah. And eventually I couldn't keep preaching verse by verse <laughs> because I ran into Romans. Right. And that was kind of <laughs> the end of being an Arminian. Sure. But the, the problem was this. If you preach that you use these means and then you're tempted to bring in Hollywood or entertain everybody or do this or do that. But once you realize it's totally a work of God and there are means, but the means are means that are ordained by God, which is gospel preaching, mm. preaching Christ and the blood atonement. And when I realized that the means God would use are supernatural, not natural ones. Right. Okay, supernatural means that I just start preaching Christ. Amen. Because I don't know who the elect are, and I don't know whose names are in the book of life from before the foundation of the world, but I do know that God will use the means he's ordained, and he will keep his promises. So as we preach Doesn't the that gospel— take a load off? Yeah, it does. Oh, it, it actually it empowers evangelism. Mm -hmm. Because the other way of thinking— well, if you don't have a, quote, revival, which is a very American idea. Yeah. Well, if you don't get decisions, then you're a failure. Yeah, or you, right. they want these mass people movements. Mm -hmm. and, but even uh, even like a street, like face-to-face, one-on-one conversation, yeah. if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, if you don't get a decision there, then you're a failure under the Arminian system. Well, you got to say it better. Mind or, system. Yeah, right. You, you're, not, you're not packaging it right. See, once you know that God will use the foolishness, that's said ironically, yeah. of the message preached to save those who will believe, it's liberating. Amen. And it doesn't keep people from being saved because God uses his means and people are added to the church. Right. As, as it says in Acts, God was adding those who were being saved. Amen. So we just preach the gospel. And that changed my whole life. That was 1986. From then on, I quit apologizing and just started preaching. Right. And people got mad. People in our own 
church at the time back in the 80s. I got into Romans. Didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Got to Romans 9. Really got mad. A bunch of people left. Somebody called me. How dare you preach that? How dare you preach that? <laughs> and I said, well, this was somebody who had been along since the early 80s when we decided to go verse by verse Right back then. I said, well, remember when I said I was going to preach verse by verse through the Bible? Because we were tired of all these goofy movements that came into town that proved to be wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I remember. I said, well, I'm just doing what I said I was going to do. And that was the verse I got to. Yeah. And I preached it. Yeah. Well, I don't like it. That's what I heard on the other side. Stay home that week. Then. Yeah. I, said, <laughs> I said, well, let me quote something else to you. Just give you a little preview of where I'm we're going. I'm not actually advocating people stay home. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I quoted from Romans 10. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Universal will be call. Saved. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. I said, when we get to Romans 10, I'm going to teach that. Oh, I like that. I said, okay, listen, you've got to take the whole word of God, Scripture alone. Right. And I have to answer to God as a preacher. I can't skip around and don't tell you things that God said because I don't like them or you don't like them. I have to do this. Mm -hmm. But just listen to the whole thing. and You won't end up in a bad place because— God's still going to save whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Yeah. Well, that's the difficult thing in the mindset of an Arminian is they don't want to reconcile the the two where you've got, on one hand, you cannot come to the Lord without him first regenerating you. And then, and then on the other hand, the part they do like is all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. They're not mutually exclusive. You're exactly right. You know, one of the key words in this whole, the solas, is the term alone. Mm -hmm. Because you see, Armenians may claim they have glory. Catholics claim they have faith. But the issue with Catholicism is faith alone. It's when you get the alone, that's when they anathematize you. They did that at Trent. Mm -hmm. The same thing really occurs with the glory of God alone. Um, If the American conception under Finney is correct, that the human being is like the Marlboro man, where they have all this ability. I think Americans, I th- always think of the Marlboro man because he's got the pack of cigarettes in his sleeve. And if you drop him out in the woods, he can build a log cabin with a, uh, with a hatchet. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's this idea of, uh, you know, do it yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's the American conception of the sinner. Mm-hmm. But the biblical conception is that we're dead, right. that we're dead in our trespasses Amen. and dead men can't do anything. I taught teenagers years ago, the Bible, I said, what, what do dead men do? And they knew, they were to say they stink it up. It's all they mm-hmm. do. And um, well, that's the yeah. thing that I think people don't put put together is that when we say glory glory to God alone, just like any other sola, we literally mean alone. And 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 if even one one millionth of one percent of the process involves you and me, then we get one one millionth of one percent of the glory. That's right. But God says, no, you get none, not even such a minuscule amount that you can almost not see it. It's even worse than that. You know why? Because let's just say synergism for the sake of argument is what we're going to try to teach. Yeah. And we'll do what you just said, one millionth of one percent or whatever. But here's the kicker. Everybody's in the same status. Okay. And everybody has that same ability, however little it is. Mm-hmm. And nothing ever happens in any case until man puts his part in. 
Right. And so that's the only part that matters. That's right. I don't care what percentage you give to God. So it's even that one one million, the one percent ends up being all of it. It's all end. of it yeah. because it's the only reason anything happened. Amen. Because you threw your part in, and okay. so you're really not giving God any glory, mm-hmm. other than saying God made it possible for the ones that have enough sense to put their one percent in. Uh, well, what's we'll the thing about why? Saved. Why do why do people uh, like synergism? I mean, you always th- you always hear about well, what about my grandma, you know, or some some person they really love so much that they know is not saved, and they just cannot fathom the idea that the reason why they're not saved is because God has not regenerated them. But is that comforting? I, I mean, I don't think it's comforting to know. Okay, my grandma's not saved because my grandma rejected the gospel. I think that's almost less comforting. But, but it's that, it's emotional. Right? I've talked to so many people, including. Some very good friends or preachers that would would never they just can't get it or don't want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I've done lately, I listened to Eric's Sunday School on, on Revelation made me think about this. Yeah. We are trying to imagine the final judgment as we are now, not mm-hmm. knowing everything, you're seeing everything. As we are now, we can't imagine, I'm going to get to eternity and people that were important to me, even people in church, in some cases. Won't be there. Aren't there. And we're, they're going to be tormented, and that won't even be heaven. I've had people say that. Wow. But they're all rejoicing in heaven. Amen. Because they're different. And I think of it this way, it helps me. How I will be in heaven isn't how we are now. Exactly how I am now. Right. My emotions will be different. My knowledge will be different. The but that's the that's, sin will be gone. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then somehow, and I hope our listeners can get this because it really helps to know this that in heaven, all of the redeemed, the angels. The redeemed humans, the saints, the spirits of just men made perfect, as it says in Hebrews, they're all giving glory to God. Mm -hmm. They're praising God and giving him all the glory. And that wouldn't be true if they were all just saying, well, but what about about this one? And what about that one? They're not feeling that way. Faith. I mean, we've got to have faith in what Christ has done for us, but we always also got to have faith in what is yet to come. Well, see, we will see God's character for what it really is. Mm -hmm. And when we see sin for how bad it is, because even now as Christians, we still can't quite get how bad it really is. Uh, Because we're not God and we're still tainted. We believe what it says. I believe that in heaven, it'll be so obvious that what God did through these solas is so glorious and so right and so good that it had to be that way. This is the way God is going to be glorified, and we're going to participate, and we're going to be rejoicing with those angels, and we're not going to be say, saying, well, what about all the Aborigines right. that never heard, or, or mm-hmm. what about this, or what about that? All those whatabouts are going to be totally gone. Right. But what do we have now? We either believe what God said because we trust him to have told us 
what we need to know. I like what you said in the other day, Eric, when you were mentioning John 14. Yeah. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. Yeah. Amen. Do we believe that's scripture alone? Mm-hmm. Did he tell us what we need to know? Amen. I think he did. And people that object, well, God can't do it this way, or he, I don't like it, or it doesn't seem fair, are thinking as in a fallen world and not accepting what God says is true. That's right. And I believe that, excuse me, we're going to all give him the glory. That's right. And I think we should start doing it right now. Amen. Yeah, you know, if we think about glory being, again, the honor that's due God, if we really have some ability that we contribute to this act of salvation and redemption that he does, then we really are detracting from his glory. And I think it really boils down to having an underestimated— Ultimately, it's blasphemous. It is blasphemous. Um, and it has an overvalued human and an undervalued God. In that type of scheme, think about John six forty four when Jesus says, "No one can come to me unless the Father draws him." The term "can" there uh, from dunamis, which is the term That's where we ability. Yeah, it has to do with power and ability. Um, it's not a term of permission; it's a term of ability. He's saying mm-hmm. that no one has the ability to come to him. Well, if we understand that correctly, then we realize it's actually comforting. If my grandma isn't believing, she's in the hands of a God who is able rather than being left her own devices because she's unable. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have to really believe what the scriptures are saying. If the scriptures are really saying that we have inability, well, that's not comforting at all, but it is comforting knowing that God has all the ability. And that's why remember yeah. the disciples, when Jesus said, that's where sovereignty really is, is important. Exactly. Jesus talked about the rich man. He says it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle mm-hmm. than it was for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, they were despairing of that. They knew that that was something that was impossible. And they realized that, well, then Jesus counters. He says, yes, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible because mm-hmm. he has the power and therefore he has the glory. And that's one thing that we see throughout the scriptures is through God's redemptive plan, he is going to be glorified. One example of, of that is when Abraham believes, we see this in Romans 4.20. It says that he didn't waver in his faith, giving glory to God. Now, his faith wasn't something of himself. It was something given to him by God. And the very fact of his salvation and his justification was something that glorified God. So fast forward to the book of Revelation. In Revelation 16, you see the unregenerate won't repent. And it says, so as not to glorify God. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. This plan of redemption is something that uniquely demonstrates the glory of God. Mm Mm-hmm more than anything else on the planet uh, or in the cosmos. And um, that's what's so beautiful about this act of redemption. And when we get to glory, as Bob mentioned earlier, we're going to be participants in this glory. Number one, we're going to be glorified in the sense of resurrection. But in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty three, remember we were, our bodies die perishably. Mm-hmm. They're sown perishable bodies, but they're going to be raised in glory. Um, we see in First John 3, 2, that we're going to one day see the Lord as he is when we're resurrected. Um, we see this idea in Romans chapter 8, where in Romans 8, Paul says that I consider that the present sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Mm-hmm. And so as Bob was mentioning, all of these sorrows and the difficulties of this world in glory, in the resurrection, God is going to be shown to be who he truly is. And we're going to be participants in his glory. And that's what's so exciting in our resurrection. Mm-hmm. We're not just going to be spectators. You know, there's a difference between a player in the game and a spectator. We're going to be participants. We're going to be working in the new Jerusalem. We'll oh, be yeah. reflecting God's glory. He created us to be image bearers that would give him glory. Well, finally, we're going to be those image bearers that aren't going to be marred by sin. And yeah. so we're fully going to glorify him as we were truly designed to yeah, do. Yeah, we won't be the way we are now. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I know over the years of ministry, people ask, well, how could it be there's no marriage in heaven? Because if someone has a Christian marriage for 50, 60, 70 years, and then they think about heaven, well, I'm going to be with my wife, and we're going to have our home and our cottage. And, right. But how could it be there's no marriage? And how can that be heaven? Then I'll be so sad. But all of that is based on assuming what's real now is going to be the same there. Mm-hmm. That our feelings, our thoughts, our desires, our motivations, all of that or something like it is here. Right. But it won't be. We don't know what it will be. It says that. Yes. And what it is isn't revealed yet because we have to believe. Amen. If we don't, we'll go down to the cathedral. Right. And mm-hmm. do the incense and the bells and the smells and the robes and the, all of the pomp and circumstance because we don't want to believe. That's right. I wish every Christian would do a careful study of the book of Hebrews. Yes. It would get rid of so much bad stuff. And I'll tell you, there'd be no Roman Catholic Church. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. If anybody believed the book of Hebrews. <laughs> but the, the fact is, we have to know it's going to be different. It'll be right. It'll be good. And when we all is there, we're going to give him all the glory. Amen. And we're not going to feel lack. That's right. Mm-hmm. We can't imagine that. That's right. Because we can only think what gives us joy now. Right. Now, when people get really, really, really sick, and they've been that way so much that they can't do anything they ever did before. Yeah. Then you start thinking, oh, I've been a couple of times to that point. Well, heaven starts sounding good. Yeah. But it needs to sound good all the time. But yeah, we take our responsibilities here seriously. Right, right. And um, the great glory and joy we have now is to give honor to him, to do all things in faith. And to preach the gospel and to have fellowship here with the redeemed. Amen. Amen. I was thinking of uh, Isaiah 6, 3. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And then it goes on to say that the earth is filled with his glory. It's interesting, this connection between the holiness of God and his glory. Now in our sinful state, we always have to see a mediated glory. Mm -hmm. Um, You think about in Sinai, Moses couldn't see God's glory as it truly was. Mm -hmm. There was a covering. He was placed in the cleft of the rock. Um, Jesus comes as the God-man. It's a mediated form. God shows his his glory. And so in our sinful state, we can't even see the glory as it truly is. You look at the, in Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, We see that God demonstrates his glory, for example, in Exodus 24 through the storm theophany through thunder 
and different things. But the pagan takes that display and they end up becoming idol makers from it. They take the display of God's glory and they turn, turn it into idol making. According to Romans chapter one, they worship the creation rather than the creator. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is when you and I are glorified, no longer are we going to do that anymore. So what's so interesting is in our glorified state, we get to enjoy God's glory and see it for what it really is. And that's one of the great blessings that look forward that we look forward to in the resurrected state. We will finally see God's glory as it is. And we'll always be learning about it. We're never going to be, you know, omniscient. Yeah. Well, I've we'll been thinking be a lot lately. I've been dwelling a lot lately on on the eternal state and in the glory and that how much this life will and magnify the glory. And that when you look at like, um, I, I'm becoming more and more aware of, of corruption here, uh, of governmental corruption, human corruption, that thing here in the United States, corruption is far worse than I ever imagined. And I'm starting to see it more. It's, it's just, it's, it's horrible. Right. But seeing that, it's going to make it that much richer when we get before our king and we realize that there's no more corruption at all. He's perfect. He's holy. Everything he does is for good cause. It's perfect. And and we'll remember this life and knowing hey, that's what we left. That's what he saved us from. Amen. It, it, it's it's given, you know, it gets me down now thinking you know, everything's so bad, right? Well, it's bad. And I've got, you know, I've often said that if it, if it wasn't for my kids that I just grab a snack and watch the world burn, you know, right? like it's, it's not, I know where my eternity is. Right. And, and so what happens happens, but what, what makes me worry and makes me nervous and, and I confess worry is sin, but I do worry is knowing that my kids are, are just getting started and they're having to come up in this world that's so corrupt and, and who knows, it seems to be getting worse that what are, what are they going to have to live through? Yeah. Yeah. But, but you, you, know, you know what we can think about? I think it will help. I've been thinking about lately cause I got in, every once in a while I get into a debate with somebody about global warming or right. all this is going to be terrible. And remember, so you guys are younger than me, but in the eighties when the European union was getting going, mm -hmm. A lot of Christians said, well, this is it. Now the Antichrist, we're going to have the 10 right. nations and they're going to give their power to the beast. Right, right. But then there were more than 10 and there were then this. Mm -hmm. Well, then recently now there's this movement back to national boundaries and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going the other way. But see, we don't know how long history is going to go. Right. Good point. We absolutely don't know. So I'm thinking somebody says, well, we got to do something because carbon dioxide is going to. Well, carbon dioxide is necessary for life on Earth, and humans can't live without making more of it. Right. We need the oxygen. The plants need the carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows how this is all going to work. Yeah. But So why is this going on and on? Well, God knows. But look what God will allow so that one more will know, or another mm -hmm. one will know, and another one will be added. Wow. What we don't know is how many God wants from all of these nations everywhere— to be added. Yeah. Okay. So we groan, it says in the Bible, but there's a reason for it. There's hope because yeah. 
we can't now see well, how that's valuable. I keep thinking a big part of that is that glory, the the magnified glory that he's going to have in eternity. Yeah, and there'll be more people Amen. from more nations. And and I represent lamenting the corruption in the United States, but I think it's worse throughout the rest of the world. I mean, we're we got that's why I lamented it is because we've got it as bad yeah. as it is. We've still got it good, and you know, we're not China, we're not Vietnam, we're not North Korea, we're not. I mean, you can yeah. the list goes on and on and on of all the places that. Well, at least we're not there, you know. Right. But even now, you know, I, seeing how horribly corrupt things are, I just think, wow, you know. The the first moment of eternity is just going to be glorifying God and knowing that that'll never, ever be like that again. You know, Andy, as you were saying that, I've often thought that God glorifies himself with, himself with contrast. Mm-hmm. For example, when we're in heaven, we see in Revelation chapters 21 through 23, there's going to be no more tears. One analogy I used with my little boy, I said, you know, you'll never know how sweet it is to have a day off unless you've worked hard. Yeah. A weekend means nothing to yeah. those who have never had to work. Yeah. But it also, in the same way, what is it like to feel healthy unless you've been sick? Mm-hmm. And so God is going to be using all of these things to show us the grandeur yeah. of his salvific plan. And one of the passages that comes to my mind is in Romans three twenty six, where it says that he's both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And what's interesting about that passage if we never sinned and God didn't have to redeem a people, God would always be just. But the fact that he allows sin enables him also to be the justifier. Mm-hmm. And so what that enables him to do is to show his full orb glory, another right. aspect of his character. It's going his mercy. back to those characteristics of God. Exactly. And so that's what the salvific plan is about, is it's showing more of his nature so that he may be glorified. And so if we start to understand that all of creation is designed to glorify him, even the plan of redemption. This to me is the answer to the problem of evil. Why does God allow evil? So that he's glorified, mm-hmm. so that he can subdue it, so I that he can show us how he created it. I brought along yeah, amen. that say that specifically, even in the context where the question comes up. Yes. And, well, you've preached through this when you went through Romans, but right. in the context of the vessels of wrath and yeah, Romans 9, yeah. Okay, here's what it says, Romans nine twenty three, In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Amen. So that's why this is all going on. He's prepared beforehand vessels of glory, and he's going to make known those riches. So we're living through this uh, in this world. But there's a purpose to it. Mm-hmm. Amen. And then in another context, in second, that was Romans 9.23, 2 Corinthians 4.15, for it is all for your sake, so that grace, excuse me, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Amen. In the context of the sufferings mm-hmm. uh, that we go through. And I think we know the answer. It doesn't make it easy when when our loved ones suffer and when we have difficulties and people in church are going through things. And but we need to have each other. Amen. We need to preach the gospel, and we need to know what the truth is. But when somebody comes along, like Finney and then people in our day. We try to make God seem more fair to the carnal-minded person. 
Right. It's actually making it worse. Amen. And there are Christians, I believe, who know the Lord, who don't get good doctrine. Mm-hmm. And they, they're stuck hearing man-centered doctrine. It just makes it harder. Right. It makes it harder to understand the gospel. It makes it harder to understand the suffering that we have. It makes it harder in every possible way. The truth is always going to benefit us. Amen. Air never does. Right. I don't care. It's never worth giving people emotional comfort by using air to try to do it. Right. Because it won't do any good in the long run. Right. It's just delusion. But the truth will cause rejoicing and it will uh, abound to the glory of God. And it will do so for all eternity. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that, Bob, I was thinking about, look at the false religions. I was thinking of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. The great promise in Buddhism is nirvana. This idea of basically reaching a a sense of nothingness where you cease to suffer. But think about the glory of God's promises. How much greater the truth is, the fact that one day he's going to raise us from the dead, the fact that we're going to reign with him for a thousand years. The fact that there's going to be a new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. Um, the, the promises that come from the truth of God's word are so much more glorious than the false religions of man. And that's one of the things that we have uniquely as Christians is the hope that we can give based on fact. As Bob often quotes from Paul in Acts, this is cold, sober truth. These aren't uh, fairy tales or fictions. We're telling people glorious truths that's the answer to the problem of evil. We're heading to glory and God is going to use mm-hmm. it all. And to me, that's exciting. If that weren't true, this would be the most, I think, depressing existence. I, 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 couldn't, I don't know if how, how I'd function without it. Mm-hmm. It's difficult enough <laughs> as, a, as a sinful human being with moments like John the Baptist who says, remember, are, were you, are you the one? Literally, he says, are you the coming one? It's from John, or from Psalm 118.26. It's actually a messianic reference. But the, the reply back from Jesus was, the deaf hear, the blind see, the and the poor walk. have good news. And it was a fulfillment of Isaiah yeah, 35. It proves that the era of messianic salvation exactly. is on the scene of history. Amen. We're getting short on time. Uh, we're about an hour in, so okay. we've got a little bit of time, but... Um, I don't want to go more than maybe 15 more minutes or, yeah, or I don't, won't fit the file on the, I'll, I'll the sorry, space, shut up, but, but I was just, well, no, no, exactly I, I was just we don't need I, to close I, up quite I wasn't yet. sure where we were at. Yeah. I have something here. Yeah. In first Peter four eleven, I want to quote. Amen. It, it's interesting. Maybe I'll use this sometime for a benediction because it starts out with an exhortation and sort of slides into a benediction. Okay. So it's first Peter four eleven says this. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, then the benediction to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that um, interesting? Beautiful. A, a combo exhortation and doxology and benediction all in one verse. Right, with that purpose statement. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so if, and I think I have to agree with Luther, this is what's going to give glory to God. Amen. If we're doing this by God's strength, because he, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is taught in the scripture alone, saves us, 
monergistically, then we have every reason to take that seriously and speak the word of God. Amen. Give him glory. That's right. Well, maybe in the interest of time, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up, but um, it's been a great discussion. A great way to finish off um, a long running series. It's been, like I said, I, I started the first one. Seems like it's been seven years ago. With uh, James White, and time then, flies when you're preaching the word of God. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, I brought up a verse here. I was talking about um, thinking about um, magnifying the glory of God, and and also being the youngest one in the room. You know, I, I'm sure we all have thought often about how how very brief this time on earth is, and right. And I always go back to James four fourteen that you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Wow. Amen. Or uh, that's an ESV. There's a, one of them says just, just a vapor. I have a, <laughs> another lesser used website. That's just a vapor. Yeah. I think of myself as that. But, yeah. Amen. The brevity of life. We have to yeah. believe whatever it says is true. Exactly. Well, I think about brevity of life, but I'm thinking more and more about how, you know, did you see uh, Jerusalem's King? The, the the film that Ryan and I did. No, well, Ryan I've, did. Never, I, I've, I've never seen it. it I've never seen it. Well, he uh, he kind of as he's uh, concluding the film, he talks about um, God building for Himself a constituency, and that's really stuck with me. And and yeah, in uh, in the glory of God and what what we're experiencing here on Earth mm-hmm. is, uh, it's so easy to think of death, resurrection, and then. Eternity as being the end, when really it's just the beginning that we're really this existence is almost more of a staging ground that God is is putting together his constituency f- for his the 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 eternity that he had mm-hmm. in his purpose from the beginning wow that's wow. true that's very good that's why history is going on, yeah, amen. That's right. Yeah, Bob, as you mentioned that earlier, the Second Peter 3, he, he desires none to perish. And you unpack that Second Peter passage, it's really about the elect, mm-hmm. that the reason why time goes and we say, hey, it's been 2,000 years since his first advent, where is his coming? Remember, the scoffers were asking that. Mm-hmm. But the, the the real answer to that is he's building that constituency. He's if not there's gonna... just one more elect, exactly we're right. for him. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Well said. I love that term, constituency. I remember that. Yeah, that really stuck with, me with Ryan's. Yeah, excellent presentation well thank you too thank you Andy, for having us yeah it's fun working with you guys great having you in and a great way to conclude the series and a great way to kick off 2019 for january that's right (laughs) as the we used to say when i was a new christian should the lord tarry Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) 2019 (laughs) that's right that's right all right yeah Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 129. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 129. Uh, I'm sorry about the audio quality this month. There was a clicking sound that was caused by the audio equipment. Uh, it, 
it's kind of it was a factor of having more than one guest in the room and audio transferring between my microphones uh it, that was in my equipment not in your device or your speaker i didn't want to mention it in the introduction just in case you might not notice it i didn't want to point it out and uh ruin your listening experience if it otherwise wouldn't have been but now that we're done i just wanted to apologize for that be uh, sure also to check out the website for links to connect with Equizoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to Equizoe Ministries. Help us get the word out too by sharing or retweeting the announcements to your favorite episodes. Lord willing, we'll be back next month for the February episode of Equizoe Radio. 